Chapter 10. It was, of course, the lion's voice. The children had long felt sure that he could speak, yet it was a lovely and terrible shock when he did. Out of the trees, wild people stepped forth, gods and goddesses of the wood. With them came fawns and satyrs and dwarfs. Out of the river, rode the river rose the river gods with his naiad daughters. And all these and all the beasts and the birds and their different voices, low or high or thick or clear, replied, Hail Aslan, we hear and obey, we are awake, we love, we think, we speak, we know. But please, we don't know very much yet, said a no nosy and snorty kind of voice. And that really did make the children jump for it was the cab horse who had spoken. Good old Strawberry, said Polly. I am glad he was one of the ones picked to be a talking animal. And the cabbie, who was now standing beside the children, said, Strike me pink, I always did say that that oss had a lot of sense, though. Creatures, I give you yourselves, said the strong, happy voice of Aslan. I give you forever this land of Narnia. I give you the woods, the fruits, the rivers. I give you the stars, and I give you myself. The dumb beasts whom I have not chosen are yours also. Treat them gently and cherish them, but do not, do not go back to their ways, lest you cease to be a talking beast. For out of them you are taken, and into them you can return. Do not do so. No, Aslan, we won't, we won't, said everyone. But one perky jackdaw added in a loud voice, No fear, and everyone else had f finished just before he said it, so that his words came out quite clear in the dead silence. And perhaps you have found out how awful that can be, say, at a party. The jackdaw became so embarrassed that it hid its head under its wing as if it were going to sleep. And all the other animals began making various queer noises, Noises, which were their ways of laughing, and which, of course, no one has ever done in our world. They tried at first to repress it, but Aslan said, Laugh and fear not, creatures. Now that you are no longer dumb and witless, you need not always be grave, for jokes as well as justice come in with speech. So they all let themselves go, and there was such merriment that the jackdaw himself plucked up enough courage again and perched on the cab horse's head between its ears, clapping its wings, and said, Aslan, Aslan, have I made the first joke? Will everyone always be told how I made the first joke? No, little friend, said the lion. You have not made the first joke. You have only been the first joke. Then everyone laughed more than ever, but the jackdaw didn't mind, and laughed just as loud till the horse shook it off its head, and the jackdaw lost its balance and fell off, but remembered its wings. They were still new to it, before it reached the ground. And now, said Aslan, Narnia is established. We must take thought of keeping it safe. I will call some of you to my council. Come hither to me, you the chief dwarf, and you the river god, you the oak, and the he-owl, and the ravens, and the bull elephant. We must talk together. For though the world is not five hours old, an evil has already entered it. The creatures had not... That the creatures he had named came forward, and he turned away eastward with them. The others all began talking, saying things like, 
What did he say had entered the world? An, an evil? What's an evil? No, he didn't say an evil. He said a weevil. Well, what's that? Look here, said Diggory and Polly. Said Diggory to Polly. I've got to go after him. Aslan, I mean the lion. I have to speak to him. Do you think we can, said Polly? I, I wouldn't dare. I've got to, said Diggory. It's about Mother. If anyone could give me something that would do her good, it, it would be him. I'll come along with you, said the cabbie. I looked. I like the looks of M, and I don't reckon those other beasts will go for us. And I want a word with old Strawberry. So all three of them stepped out boldly, or as boldly as they could, towards the assembly of animals. The creatures were so busy talking to one another and making friends that they didn't even notice the three humans until they were very close. Nor did they hear Uncle Andrew, who was standing trembling in his buttoned boots a good way off and shouting, but by no means at the top of his voice. Diggory, come back. Come back at once when you're told. I forbid you to go a step further. When the, at last they were right in among the animals, the animals all stopped talking and stared at them. Well, said the he-beaver at last, what in the name of Aslan are these? Please, said Digger in rather a breathless voice, when a rabbit said, They're a kind of large lettuce. That's my belief. No, we're not. Honestly, we're not, said Polly hastily. We're not at all nice to eat. There, said the mole. They can talk. Who ever heard of talking lettuce? Perhaps they're the second joke, suggested the jackdaw. A panther, who had been washing its face, stopped for a moment to say, well, if they are, they're nothing like so good at the, as the first one. At least, I don't see anything very funny about them. It yawned and went on to wash its face. Oh, please, said Diggory, I'm in such a hurry. I want to see the lion. All this time, the cabbie had been trying to catch Strawberry's eye. Now he did. Now, Strawberry, old boy, he said, you know me. You ain't going to stand there and say as you don't know me. Well, that's the thing about... The thing talking about, horse, said several voices. Well, said Strawberry very slowly, I don't know exactly. I think most of us don't know much about anything yet. But I have a sort of idea I've seen a thing like this before. I have a feeling I lived somewhere else, or was something else, before Aslan woke us all up a few moments ago. It's all very muddled, like a dream. But there were things like these three in the dream. What? said the cabbie. Not know me? Me what used to bring you a hot mash on an, of an evening when you was out of sorts? Me what rubbed you down proper? Me what never forgot to put your cloth on you if you was standing in the cold? I wouldn't have thought it of you, Strawberry. It does begin to come back, said the horse thoughtfully. Yes, let me think. Now, let me think. Yes, you used to tie a horrid black thing behind me and then hit me to make me run. And however far I ran, this black thing would always be coming rattle, rattle behind me. We had our living to earn, see, said the cabbie. Yours, the same as mine. And if there hadn't been no work and no whip, there'd have been no staple, no hay, no mash, and no oats. For you did get a taste of oats when I could afford them, which no one can deny. Oats, said the horse, prickling upstairs. Yes, I remember something about that. Yes, I remember more and more. We were always sitting up somewhere behind. Yeah, at least you were. And I was always running in front, pulling you and the black thing. I know I did all the work. Summer, I grant you, said the cabbie. Ought work for you and a cool seat for me. 
But what about winter, old boy? When you was keeping yourself warm, I was sitting up there with my feet like ice and my nose fair pinched off me with the wind and my hands that numb my hardly old rains. It was a hard, cruel country, said Strawberry. There was no grass. It was all hard stones. Too true, mate. Too true, said the cabbie. A hard world it was. I always did say those paved stones weren't fair on any oss. That's London, that is. I don't like it no more than you did. You were a country oss, and I was a country man. I used to sing in the choir, I did, down at home, but there wasn't a living for me there. No, please, please, said Diggory. Could we get on? The lion's getting farther and farther away, and I do want to speak to him so dreadfully badly. Look here, Strawberry, said the cabbie. This young gentleman has something on his mind that he wants to talk to the lion about, and you call Aslan. Suppose you let him ride on your back, which he'd take it very kindly, and trot him over there to where the lion is, and me and the little girl will be following along. Right, says Strawberry. Oh, I remember now. That means sitting on my back. I remember there used to be little ones of you two leggers who used to do that long ago. He used to have little hard square lumps of some white stuff that he gave me. They tasted, oh, wonderful, sweeter than grass. Ah, that'd be sugar, said the cabbie. Please, Strawberry Beck Diggory, do, do let me get up and take me to Aslan. Well, I don't mind, said the horse. Not for once and away. Up and up you get. Good old Strawberry, said the cabbie. Airy young and I'll give you a lift. Diggory was soon on Strawberry's back and quite comfortable, for he had ridden bareback before on his own pony. Now, do gee up, Strawberry, he said. You don't have to. You don't happen to have a bit of that white stuff about you, I suppose, asked the horse. No, I'm afraid I haven't, said Diggory. Well, it can't be helped, said Strawberry, and off they went. At that moment, a large bulldog, who had been sniffing and starting very hard, said, Look, isn't there another of those queer creatures over there beside the river, under the trees? Then all the animals looked and saw Uncle Andrew standing very still among the rhododendrons and hoping he hadn't been noticed. Come on, said several voices. Let's go and find out. So, while Strawberry was briskly trotting away with Digger in one direction, with Polly and the cabbing following on foot, most of the creatures rushed towards Uncle Andrew with roars, barks, grunts, and various noises of cheerful interest. We must now go back a bit and explain what the whole scene had looked like from Uncle Andrew's point of view. It had not made all the same impression on him as it did on the cabbie and the children. For what you see in here depends a good deal on where you're standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. Ever since the animals first appeared, Uncle Andrew had been shrinking further and further back into the thicket. He watched them very hard, of course, but he wasn't really interested in seeing what they were doing, only in seeing whether they were going to make a rush at him. Like the witch, he was dreadfully practical. He simply didn't notice that Aslan was choosing one pair of each kind of beast. All he saw, or thought he saw, was a lot of dangerous wild animals walking vaguely about. And he kept on wondering why the other animals didn't run away from the big lion. When the great moment came and the beast spoke, he had missed the whole point, for a rather interesting reason. 
When the lion had first began singing, long ago, when it was still dark, quite dark, he had realized that the noise was a song, and he had disliked it very much. It made him think and feel things he did not want to think and feel. Then when the sun rose and he saw that the singer was a lion, it's only a lion, he said to himself, he tried his hardest to believe that it wasn't singing and never had been singing, only roaring as any lion might in a zoo in our real own world. Of course, it can't really have been singing, he thought to himself. I must have imagined it. I've been letting my nerves get out of order. Who ever heard of a lion singing? And the longer and more beautiful the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. Uncle Andrew did. He soon did not hear. He soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he could have, couldn't have heard anything else, even if he had wanted to. When at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words. All he heard was a snarl. And when the beast spoke, beasts spoke an answer, he only heard the barkings, growlings, bangs, and howlings. When they laughed, well, you can imagine... That was worse for Uncle Andrew than anything that had happened yet. Such a horrid, bloodthirsty din of hungry and angry brutes he had ever heard in his life. Then, to his utter rage and horror, he saw the other three humans actually walking out into the open to meet the animals. The fools, he said to himself. Now those brutes will eat the rings along with the children and I'll never be able to get home again. What a selfish little boy that Diggory is. And the others are just as bad. If they want to throw away their lives, that's their business. But what about me? They don't seem to think of that. No one thinks of me. Finally, when a whole crowd of animals came rushing towards him, he turned and ran for his life. And now anyone could see that the air of that young world was really doing to the old, the old gentleman good. In London, he had been far too old to run. Now, he ran at the speed which would have made him certain to win the hundred yards race at any prep school in England. His coat tails were flying out behind him, made a fine sight. But, of course, it was of no use. Many of the animals behind him were swift ones, and it was the first run that they had ever taken in their lives, and they were longing to use their new muscles. After him, after him, they shouted. Perhaps he's the Neville. Tally-ho! Tandavi! Cut him off! Round him up! Keep it up, hurry. In a very few minutes, some of them had got ahead of him. They lined up in a row and barred his way. Others hemmed him in from behind. Whenever he looked, he saw tears. Antlers of great elks and the huge face of an elephant towered over him. Heavy, serious-minded bears and boars grunted behind him. Cool-looking leopards and panthers with sarcastic faces, as he thought, stared at him and waved their tails. What struck him most of all was the number of open mouths. The animals had really opened their mouths to pant, but he thought they had opened their mouths to eat him. Uncle Andrew stood trembling and swaying this way and that. He never really liked animals at the best of times, usually being rather afraid of them. And, of course, years of doing cruel experiments on animals made him hate and fear them all the more. Now, sir, said the bulldog in his business-like way, are you animal, vegetable, or mineral? That was really what 
he said. But all Uncle Andrew heard was grrrr. Chapter 11 You may think the animals were very stupid not to see at once that Uncle Andrew was the same type of creature as the two children in the cabbie. But you must remember that the animals knew nothing about clothes. They thought that Polly's frock and Diggory's Norfolk suit and the cabbie's bowler hat were as much parts of them as their own fur and feathers. They hadn't even known that those three were all of the same kind if they hadn't spoken to them and if Strawberry had not seemed to think so. Uncle Andrew was a great deal taller than the children and a good deal thinner than the cabbie. He was... And all he was all in black except for his white waistcoat, which was by now not very white, and the great mop of grey hair, which was now very wild indeed, didn't look to them like anything they had seen in the other three humans. So it was only natural that they should be puzzled. Worst of all, he didn't seem to be able to talk. He tried to, honestly he did. When the bulldog spoke to him, or as he thought, first snarled and then growled at him, he held out his shaking hand and gasped, Good doggy then, poor old fellow. But the beast couldn't understand him any more than he could understand them. They didn't hear any words, only a vague sizzling sound. Perhaps it was just as well they didn't, for no dog that I ever knew, least of all a talking dog of Narnia, likes to be called Good doggy then. Any more than you would like to be called My Little Man. Then Uncle Andrew dropped down in a dead fate. There, said a warthog, it's only a tree. I always thought so. Remember, they had never yet seen a faint or anything fall. The bulldog, who had been sniffing Uncle Andrew all over, raised its head and said, It's an animal, certainly an animal, probably the same kind as those other ones. Ah, uh, I don't see that, said one of the bears. An animal wouldn't just roll over like that. We're animals, and we don't roll over. We stand up like this. And he rose up on his hind legs, took a step backwards, tripped over a low branch, and fell flat on his back. The third joke! The third joke! third joke! said the dragon in great excitement. I still think it's a sort of tree, said the warthog. If it's a tree, said the bear, there might be a bee's nest in it. I'm sure it's not a tree, said the badger. I had a sort of idea it was trying to speak before it toppled over. That was only the wind in its branches, said the warthog. You surely don't mean, said the jackdaw to the badger, that you think it's a talking animal. It didn't say any words. And yet, you know, said the elephant, it was the she-elephant, of course. Her husband was, as you remember, the one who was called away by Aslan. And yet, you know, it might be an animal of some kind. Mightn't the whitish lump at the end be sort of a face? And couldn't those holes be eyes and a mouth? No nose, of course. But then, <laughs> one mustn't be narrow-minded. Very few of us have what could exactly be called a nose. She squinted down the length of her own trunk with pardonable pride. I object to that remark very strongly, said the bulldog. The elephant is quite right, said the taper. I tell you what, said the donkey brightly. Perhaps it's an animal that can't talk, but thinks it can. Can it be made to stand up? said the elephant excitedly, or thoughtfully. She took the limp form of Uncle Andrew gently in her chuck, trunk and set him up on one end. 
upside down, unfortunately, so that two half-sovereigns, three half-crowns, and a sixpence fell out of his pocket. But it was no use. Uncle Andrew merely collapsed again. There, said El several voices. It isn't an animal at all. It's not even alive. I tell you, it is an animal, said the bulldog. Smell it for yourself. Smelling isn't everything, said the elephant. Why, said the bulldog, if a fellow can't trust his nose, what is he to trust? Well, perhaps his brains, she replied mildly. I object to that remark very strongly, said the bulldog. Well, we must do something about it, said the elephant, because it might be the needle and it must be shown to Aslan. What do most of us think? Is it an animal or is it of the tree kind? Tree, tree, said a dozen voices. Well, very well, said the elephant. Then, if it's a tree, it wants to be planted. We must dig a hole. The two moles settled that part of the business pretty quickly. There was some dispute as to which way up Uncle Andrew had to be put into the hole, and he had a very narrow, narrow escape from being put in head first. Most animals said his legs must be the branches, and therefore the gray fluffy thing, they meant his head, must be his roots. But the other said that the forked end of him was the muddier, and that it spread out more, as roots ought to do. So finally, he was planted right way up. When they had padded down the earth, it came up to about his knees. It looks dreadfully withered, said the donkey. Of course, it wants some watering, said the elephant. I think I might say, meaning no offense to anyone present, that perhaps for that sort of work, my kind of nose... I object to that remark very strongly, said the bulldog. But the elephant walked quietly to the river, filled her trunk with water, and came back to attend Uncle Andrew. The sacrilegious animals went on doing this till gallons of water had been squirted over him. And water was running down out of his shirts, the shirts of his frock coat, and if he had, if he had been for a bath, with all his clothes on. In the end, it was it revived him. He woke from his faint, but awaking, but what awaking it was! He must, but we must leave him now to think for him to think over his wicked deed, if he was liking to do anything so sensible, and turn to the more important stuff. Strawberry was still trotting on with Diggory on his back till the nose of the other animals died noise of the other animals died away, and now the little group of Aslan and his chosen counselors were quite close. Diggory knew that he couldn't possibly break into so solemn a meeting, but there was no need to do so. At a word from Aslan, the he elephant, the ravens, and all the rest of them drew aside. Diggory slipped off the horse and found himself face to face with Aslan. Aslan was much bigger and more beautiful and more brightly golden and terrible than he had thought. He dared not look up into those great eyes. Please, Mr. Lion, Aslan, sir, said Diggory, could you, may I, please, will you give me some magic fruit of this country to make my mother well? He had been so desperately hoping that the lion would say yes. He had been horribly afraid it might say no, but he was taken aback when it said neither. This is the boy, said Aslan, looking not at Diggory, but as at the counselors. This is the boy who did it. 
Oh dear, thought Dot. Diggory, what have I done now? Son of Adam, said the lion, there is an evil witch abroad in my new land of Narnia. Tell those good beasts how she came here. A dozen different things that he might say flashed through his mind, but he had the sense to say nothing except the truth. I brought her, Aslan, he answered in a low voice. For what purpose? I wanted to get her out of my own world, back into her own. I thought I was taking her back to her own place. How did she... How come she to be in your world, son of Adam? By... By, by magic. The lion said nothing, and Diggory knew that he had not told enough. It was my uncle, Aslan, he said. He sent us out of our own world by magic rings. At least I had to get to go because he sent Polly in first. And then he met the we met this witch in a place called Charn. And then she just held on to us when you met the witch. Said Aslan in a low voice, which had the threat of a growl in it. She woke up, said Diggory wretchedly. And then turning very white, I mean, I woke her up. Because I wanted to know what would happen if I struck a bell. Polly didn't want to. It wasn't her fault. I I fought her. I know I shouldn't have. I think I was a bit enchanted by the writing under the bell. Do you? Asked Aslan, still speaking very low and deep. No, said Diggory. I see now I wasn't. I was only pretending. There was a long pause, and Diggory was thinking all that time. I've spoiled everything. There's no chance of getting anything for my mother now. When the like when the lion spoke again, it was not to Diggory. You see, friends, he said, that before this new clean world I gave you is seven hours old. A force of evil has already entered it, waked and brought hither by the son of Adam. The beast, even Strawberry, all turned their eyes on Diggory till he felt he wished the ground would swallow him up. But do not cast down, said Aslan, still speaking to the beasts. Evil will come of that evil, but it is still a long way off, and I will see to it that the world, that the worst, falls upon myself. In the meantime, let us take such order that for many hundred years yet this shall be a merry land and a merry world. And as Adam's race has done the harm, Adam's race shall help to heal it. Draw near, you other two. The last words were spoken to Polly and the cabbie who by now had arrived. Polly, all eyes and mouths, was staring at Aslan and holding the cabbie's hand rather tightly. The cabbie gave one glance at the lion and took off his bowler hat. No one had yet seen see him without it. When it was off, he looked much nicer younger and nicer and more like a countryman and less like a London cabman. Son, said Aslan to the cabbie, I have known you long. Do you know me? Well, no, sir, said the cabbie. Leastwise not in an ordinary manner of speaking. Yet, I feel somehow if I may make so free as how we have met before. It is well, said the lion. You know better than you think you know. And you shall live to know me better yet. How does this land please you? It's a fair treat, sir, said the cabbie. Would you always like to live here? Well, you see, sir, I'm a married man, said the cabbie. 
If my wife was here, neither of us would ever want to go back to London, I reckon. We're both country folks, really. Aslan threw up his shaggy head, opened his mouth, and uttered a long, single note. Not very loud, but full of power. Polly's heart jumped in her body when she heard it. She felt sure it was a call, and that anyone who heard that call would want to obey it, and what's more, would be able to obey it, however many worlds and ages lay between. And so, though she was filled with wonder, she was not really astonished or shocked, when all of a sudden, a young woman with a kind, honest face stepped out of nowhere and stood beside her. Polly knew at once that it was the cabbie's wife, fetched out of our world, not by any tiresome magic rings, but quickly, simply, and sweetly as a bird flies to its nest. The young woman had apparently been in the middle of a washing day, for she wore an apron, her sleeves were rolled up to the elbow, and there were soap suds on her hands. If she had had time to put on her good clothes, her best hat had imitation cherries on it, she would have looked dreadful. As it was, she looked rather nice now. Of course, she thought she was dreaming. That was why she didn't rush across to her husband and ask him what on earth had happened to them both. But when she looked at the lion, she didn't feel quite so sure it was a dream. Yet, for some reason, she did not appear to be very frightened. Then she dropped little half curtsy as some country dirt girls still knew how to do in those days after that she went put her hand in the cabbies and stood there looking round her a little shyly my children said aslan fixing his eyes on both of them you are to be the first king and queen of narnia the cabbie opened his mouth in astonishment and his wife turned very red you shall rule and name all these creatures and do justice among them and protect them from their enemies when enemies rise. And enemies will arise, for there is an evil witch in this world. The cabbie swallowed hard two or three times, and then cleared his throat. Begging your pardon, sir, he said, and thanking you very much, I'm sure, which my missus does the same, but I ain't no sore chap for a job like that. I never had much education, you see. Well, said Aslan, can you use a spade and a plow and raise food out of the earth? Why, yes, sir. I can do a bit of that sort of work, being brought up to do it. Can you rule these creatures kindly and fairly, remembering that they are not slaves like the dumb beasts of the world you were born in, but talking beasts and free subjects? I see that, sir, replied the cabbie. I tried to do this square thing by them all. And would you bring up your children and grandchildren to do the same? It'd be up to me to try, sir. I'd do my best, wouldn't we, Nellie? And you wouldn't have favorites either among your own children or among the other creatures or let any hold under another under or use it harshly. I never could abide such things going on, sir, sir. And that's the truth. I'd give them what for if I caught him doing it said the cabbie. All through this conversation, his voice was growing slower and richer, more like the country voice he must have had as a boy and less like the sharp, quick voice of a cockney. And if enemies come against the land, for enemies there will arise, and there was a war, would you be the first to charge and the last to retreat? Well, sir, said the cabbie very slowly, a chap don't exactly know till he's been tried. 
I dare say I might turn out ever much a soften. Never did no fighting except with my fist. I'd try, that is. I hope I'd try to do my bit. Then, said Aslan, you will have done all that a king should do. Your coronation will be held presently, and you and your children and grandchildren shall be blessed. And some will be kings of Narnia, others will be kings of Archland, which lies yonder over to the southern mountains. And you, little daughter, here he turned to Polly, are welcome. Have you forgiven the boy for the violence he did to you in the Hall of Images in the desolate place of a cursed charn? Yes, Aslan, we've made up, said Polly. That is well, said Aslan. And now for the boy himself.